So Patty, another exciting episode about crypto acceptance. Uh, this yes. is our second one. Um, one of our themes this year really is just talking about crypto acceptance. Um, I thought this was very educational. I was really surprised by yes. Verifone and like, I think all of our listeners are going to be like, wait a minute, Verifone is doing what? Um, yeah, this, right. Yeah. That was it. How when I first saw this, it was like, wow, talk about pivoting, right? Uh, exactly. you know, this yeah. is a big corporate pivot. And, and Jeremy is really, he knows a lot of, he knows a lot about crypto. Yeah. I, I, I was educated. I learned a lot of new stuff and I know you did. And I'm sure our listeners were, will. And then um, I follow on with some um, trend reporting regarding crypto that I think people are going to find interesting. And, and and I think it dovetails really well with what Jeremy was talking about. And I really loved your question from the field. Why don't you give us a little taste of that? Yeah. So I just talk about telemarketing and the importance of the pivot. So I just talk about if you either you're telemarketing for yourself to schedule appointments or you have appointment schedulers, um, if it's not giving you the results that you want, this little five minute spiel that I give will help you to uh, dramatically improve in that area. Um, we should also mention our, our podcast sponsor, of course, which is Valor Paytech. ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, the leader in processor agnostic terminal and virtual terminal in the cash discounting space. So check them out, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Ready, Patty? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Well, folks, today we're uh, speaking with Jeremy Bellastock from uh, Verifone. Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing terrific. Thanks just for inviting me, Patty. Great to see uh, you. Thanks for joining us. You know, uh, I recently uh, interviewed G uh, Jeremy for some articles I was preparing on cryptocurrency for the green sheet, and I found it really enlightening. And so I invited him to join us on this uh, podcast so that we could maybe dig a little deeper um, into how crypto is, you know, becoming a new addition to the payment acceptance mix. But before we get started, Jeremy, uh, we always like to learn a little bit about folks that we're interviewing. Can you give us a little of your background? What brought you to the payment space generally, uh, Verifone in particular, and maybe, uh, I, your, your title is an interesting title, head of advanced payment methods. Maybe, uh, explain to us what that means. Sure. Uh, good questions. Um, so, Advanced payment methods are traditionally payment methods that are being route, routed outside of traditional card rails. Um, okay. And why are why are they advanced? Because a lot of them are associated with mobile apps, and mobile apps can do so much more. You can do geolocalization, you can do targeted advertising. So again, much more than you can do with say your traditional card. When you've got an app, you've got a location, you know mm -hmm. a consumer's background, you know their buying habits, things like that. Sure, sure. So, um, so just also to give us a little bit of background on, um, on how you got here. Yeah, it's actually a long story, but I worked for a long time at Nokia where I was pioneering things like NFC payments. Right, um, I noticed and, that in your bio, right. And, and I worked on what was called at the time the Oyster phone. So having the London Underground's Oyster card on the phone so you could just tap. Now it seems like everybody does that, but at the time, right. we were the at first the time, it was it. pretty neat, right? Um, and then obviously a lot has happened in the payment space and, and Verifone moving from, the, so moving to Verifone is moving from the consumer side to moving to the merchant side. And how do you enable merchants to take all sorts of exciting advanced payment methods? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Cool. Cool. So let's, let's start by exploring consumer and business demand. You know, there's been a lot of news over the past year about the card brands getting into crypto, uh, new alliances between fintechs and crypto platforms. Um, 
from where you stand, where do you see the demand for for crypto payments coming from? Consumers or merchants? And and why is that? You know, what are the vert? And also, if you could touch on maybe some of the verticals where this is, um, you know, where you're seeing some of the more early adoption going on. I, I will. Um, I, if you if you take a look at from the merchant perspective and a Veriphone perspective, what we see is if, if you go beyond crypto for a second and we'll come back to crypto. So if you think about it, there are wallets like Alipay and WeChat that are very popular with, with Chinese consumers that are being used all over the world. There are the right. local peer-to-peer payments, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, things like that, as well as the whole buy now, pay later phenomenon. Right. As, and then you get to the crypto wallets. And what you see is that consumers in general are, trust those wallets. And fortunately or unfortunately, the pandemic has accelerated that trust of not wanting to exp- not wanting to expose my card information mm-hmm. or being able to finance something that I need to finance in, in, a, in a different way or younger consumers are more interested in. So Verifone's interest is, is to enable merchants to accept that whole gamut. And so now coming to your crypto question, you see that consumers now are interested in as well in buying, holding, and also spending cryptocurrencies. And so the merchant interest is, there's some of it that's curiosity. Hey, we want to let consumers know that that we can accept cryptocurrencies because there's a lot of trends and a lot of things that are going on in that space. Uh, Elon Musk is tweeting and, and, and challenging companies right. like McDonald's to go in that space. And so to answer your other question about verticals, we see demand across all of the verticals. There are lots of, it could be movie theater chains that are interested in offering cryptocurrency, quick service restaurants that are interested in offering cryptocurrency. Again, in-store, online, in-app, as well as auto dealers, fashion retailers, jewelry. So it's across a whole spectrum of merchants where there's interest to, um, to enable and accept cryptocurrencies. And why? Because to your other point, Consumers are have their money in crypto wallets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it and it seems like more and more. I mean, you know, I think I saw, you know, some statistics. I mean, there's always statistics every place. And as James will will attest, I I kind of glom onto statistics because I find them very interesting. But it's like consumer interest is really. I mean, it was sort of like at a lull before the COVID thing, and then with COVID. As the, I almost say, as the value of Bitcoin expanded, so did the interest among consumers in using um, things like Bitcoin to pay for things. Right? I mean, I think as well as the, I think as well as the curiosity, where there was so much hype, people started to, whether it be through traditional crypto wallets or other wallets that are out there, consumers wanted to put their toe in the water and see what it meant to, what is a cryptocurrency? How does that Mm -hmm. work? what is a digital currency and is that tie is is it volatile is it not volatile what happens if i try and move it right um, what are the additional fees mean so lots of questions lots of things to understand and get your head around yeah yeah for sure um and i wanted to also before we got a little bit deeper i wanted to get a point of clarification out because i know sometimes i get confused about this and and i if i am i'm sure there are other people uh, can you explain the difference between cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and and uh, stable coin, coins, you know, like U.S. dollar coins, and which of these are most likely for payment acceptance? Um, so the answer to your last question is both. Okay. Um, but the answer, so a, a stable coin is pegged to, say, USDC is pegged to the U.S. dollar. So right. the volatility is that of the U.S. dollar. If you have one USDC, you have... The equivalent of one U.S. dollar, and that doesn't change. 
versus say your Bitcoin or your Ethereum, which are not tied to the US dollar and can float up and down based on consumer demand, consumer interest and, and what's happening in the overall market. Um, and for those people that are investing, if those investments become more or less lucrative than say energy and oil based on what's happening around the world. So, yeah. But but I, I guess I'm wondering, I mean, okay, so if the US dollar coin is is pegged to the US dollar, then what's the difference between holding dollars and holding cryptocurrency? Uh, well, cryptocurrency may go up and down versus a stable coin is just going to stay at one dollar. So those right. So okay, what's to... so I guess what's what I mean? Why why hold a stable coin rather than just holding a bunch of dollars? Maybe you're passionate about. It's an excellent question. Maybe you're passionate about digital currencies. You know, why do we need to have cash in our wallets? Why do we need to walk around with? And I'll cover the bank. Why do I need to walk around with this that is essentially linked to my account? Mm -hmm. Why do I need a physical piece of plastic when I could have something on my phone and I'm just moving essentially digital currency? I have a bank account. Mm -hmm. I want to spend it somewhere. Why do I? Why does it need to be cash? Why can't it not be something that's purely digital? That's exciting. Why it could be something that you could spend not only in the U.S. but in another country? So mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies are not linked to specific countries or right. specific uh, or specific currencies, unless of course they're the the stable coins. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That makes perfect sense. And thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. James, and, do you have any questions in here? Yeah, I want to dig in a little bit actually on that. So. You know, obviously, as I'm sure you know, the stable coins were generally created for the uh, crypto exchanges originally, um, so that they would have a way of some kind of exchange of value to be able to do these large uh, crypto transactions. Um, are you actually starting to see those the, the stable coins, um, you know, going more mainstream as far as acceptance? I mean, are consumers, businesses, are they actually like spending stable coins? Because I, I was my my understanding is that was still kind of a future trend that wasn't really taking a lot of hold yet. It was mostly with the exchanges. There is spend in, in stable coins. Um, I think where we see that the, the bigger spend is in the traditional cryptocurrencies. Okay. Um, and, and that is because um, recently there were big winners or people that decided that they wanted to get out of the, the crypto space. And so they decided to spend. But also there are there are lots of enthusiasts that want to know what it means to buy Ethereum or another cryptocurrency yeah. and hold it and spend it and see what it's like. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe the stable coins are a little... They're more, they may be more in some cases practical, but maybe less sexy if that's, that's yeah, right. I agree. I agree. I think I, I think agree. it's kind of like sure. the, the, the consumers that are really drawn to cryptocurrency right now are kind of drawn by the volatility in a way. Yeah. It's almost like, hey, I can kind of like gamble and still spend and it's like a it's a whole thing, right? And so right. stable coins are a bit too boring, I think, for that audience at the moment. Um, but they have a lot more, I think. Um, you know, like for instance, um, what's that one company? I forget the name of it now, but there's a startup. VC back startup that uh, is doing stable coins for B2B payments and trying to develop that. I think there's maybe some legs to that. Um, yeah, I would see that. Sure. It, it's interesting also, Jeremy, you know, I, I have some younger friends and they like, they're really big into crypto. And uh, I was doing some transactions with one of these, these guys. And he's like, can't you just send me, you know, you have a Coinbase wallet. Why can't you just send me crypto? I'm like, because, you know, why can't you send me Bitcoin? That's what he said. I said, because by the time I buy the Bitcoin and it's in my account, it may have lost like 10% of its value. I don't want to do that. And he said, oh, that's okay, Patty. Just go out and get US dollar coin. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's when I first started learning yeah. about stable coins, right? Because <clears throat> I didn't, he likes the volatility. He thinks it's cool because right. he's going to make a killing someday on all this these crypto assets. 
And I'm sort of like, I don't want to spend all that money and, and then have to go put more money in because uh, Bitcoin took a huge hit today. Well, so so Jeremy, let's let's dig into the details a bit here. Practicality. OK, so how do you see this playing out? Um, you know, I don't know if you know, none of us has a crystal ball, but, you know, kind of timeline and, and you know, acceptance and things. I mean, what are you seeing here? How is this going to play out over the next 12 to 24 months as it relates to for our audience? What they care about is, you know, their brick and mortar and, and card not present merchants, more traditional merchant accounts. You know, is there going to be a lot of demand for crypto acceptance? Are we already seeing that? Like, give us a, a little idea of how you see this playing out. Oh, fair question. Uh, so it, from a demand perspective, there's a lot of demand. From rollout perspective, it's still early days. Right. Um, so merchants want to understand, okay, so if someone pays me with Bitcoin, what happens? Am I stuck with the volatility? Am I not stuck with the volatility? What's What does the consumer have to do? What is what do I have to do? And so the, the solution that we've built, we built a solution where essentially the consumer pays with their cryptocurrency, whether that be in-store or online, um, and, the and the merchant is then settled in local currency. So that's one of the first things that, that merchants are trying to get their head around, and, and they don't necessarily understand that. They think, oh, I accept crypto. And in some of the schemes, if you work directly with some of the wallets, you have to open up an account and you receive crypto. And if you're any sort of large merchant or any merchant at all, you're to Patty's point, you want to avoid some of that volatility. Um, so I think that's where we are. We're in an uh, educational and evangelizational, evangelizational stage where merchants are looking to get, and we'll see this year, both large and small merchants will go live accepting cryptocurrency from native crypto wallets. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. So talk to us about your um, partnership with BitPay. We saw some things in the news about how you were working together with BitPay. Um, so talk about that a little bit. What was the rationale there? And also maybe along with that, could you help our audience understand the, you know, relationship here? So everybody knows Verifone as like a kind of agnostic, you know, terminal slash technology provider. So like, how do they access this crypto acceptance? Maybe BitPay's part of that. So give us a, the, the lay of the land on that. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so Verifone has built a, a in addition to its terminals, has has an has an e-com business, but also has a whole cloud services business, of which e-com is one of them. Things right. like tokenization is another one. Um, advanced payments methods is also another uh, cloud-based service that we have. Um, so what happens is that allows us to take either e-com payments that are done by advanced payment methods or in-store payments as well. And so what we built with BitPay and the things that were key to us and where we felt we brought assets together was one, having the reach to merchants both online and in-store and being able to deliver a solution. But more importantly, if you think about a crypto cryptocurrency payment, you wanna make sure it's secure, it's fast and it's intuitive. Um, and so we were able to come together based on the experience that Verifone has with online and in-store payments and other APMs on, hey, if I'm going to do a phone-based QR payment, how do I make sure that that's secure? How do I make sure that it's intuitive? Um, and how do I make sure that, it, that it's fast? And, and what we built and what we're excited about is we surface up a QR code, consumer scans directly from their wallet, they, they see the fees, they say, okay, I want to send. And we get, a, we get a, a, a message back that says, yep, this transaction has been confirmed. We pass that over to the merchant and they're done. So again, it's fast, it's secure, it's intuitive. And it's something that we both needed to combine our, our capabilities to build that solution. And so to clarify there, in that, in that structure, basically BitPay, for those maybe that don't understand, BitPay, I think right now is the largest um, cryptocurrency acceptor, I think. Well, but anyway, right. you know, but so to make sure I understand this, you're saying, the consumer would use like BitPay has their own wallet. 
So they would use so like you, they would use their BitPay wallet, they would use their blockchain wallet, they would use their MetaMask wallet, they would choose Coinbase, one of those wallets. Right. Oh, yeah. They can use yeah. any wallet. Okay, interesting. And then the and then BitPay is one of these providers that does the whole kind of eliminating the volatility, right? That's um, exactly right. That's got exactly it. Right. Yeah. So they would so a consumer comes in, they scan this QR code, they take the payment out in Bitcoin, the merchant, you know, it's instantly converted to USD by BitPay, which takes the volatility out of it. And then the merchant's going to receive some kind of a deposit or, or a settlement in some way to receive the funds from that in U.S. currency. That's exactly right. Cool. Um, so I have one other question, a little bit off the wall here, kind of a little bit different than what we've been talking about. But, you know, we keep seeing in the news about Visa and, and kind of how, oh, Visa's into crypto. How exactly are they into crypto? Like, what are they doing and, and how does that relate to what you're doing? Um, so what I've seen from them is uh, a lot of the crypto players are issuing cards that are linked to their wallets that are when you spend with your card, you're getting rewards in crypto, which is interesting to some. Um, and then in some cases, you're linking your crypto account, but essentially you're liquidating your crypto at some point and you're onto your card, again, your inanimate card, and you're spending that uh, and in in US dollars and you've essentially liquidated your crypto versus what we built again, which is from the native wallet. I can see what I have in terms of crypto. I can see if at some point, hey, I decide I wanna spend my Ethereum and the gas fees are really high. Maybe I don't wanna spend my crypto. I haven't moved my crypto. I haven't liquidated my crypto at, at this point. I still got full control on my app. So now I, if I decide, oh, the gas fees are okay. I wanna spend those or the, the, the exchange fees are not that high right now. I'm gonna go and spend versus the card where once you've gone to spend with that, you've decided to liquidate it. You have little visibility of that of that position in the market, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you so they're actually going to use a physical card, and as they swipe that card, it's going to go and take that that amount of money from a crypto asset. Uh, eventually, it will take it from a crypto asset, but it will be converted to USD, and then it will spend it. And then it will from spend a crypto it. asset. So that, yeah. So what you're saying is, in the case of like a Visa card, a Visa crypto card. I take my crypto card, I swipe it, and then that can, or, or do I actually have to convert my crypto to dollars before I swipe it? Yes. Okay. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. I, that yeah, that's like, what I was wondering. Convenient. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That seems kind of inconvenient. I thought, I kind of thought it was like the idea of like you would swipe it and then it would like instantly convert your crypto, but I guess you'd have to kind of choose which crypto asset you want. To exactly. Convert. Yeah. And that's why I think is in, what's interesting with some of these other examples, such as using the wallet, as Jeremy was talking about there, you don't have to act the conversions on the back end. The consumer doesn't have to do the conversion. Right. So I think what you'll see is you'll see that, that consumers will link their cards to a specific wallet. So uh -huh. they'll decide that they want to end to a specific currency. So what happens is if you're going to spend and you're going to spend in real time, you have to know that the money is there. So even in the sense of um, what's happening in the crypto wallets that we have here, you have to have, so you have to have an account balance. You can't go and spend without having an account balance. So if you go and you try and spend you and you don't have any crypto, it will say, sorry, but you don't have any crypto to make this purchase. So if you think about linking the card, you'll have to link the card in the same way you'd have to link it to a crypto, to a specific crypto to be able to, to spend from that and make sure you have it. Versus, say, a PayPal account where a PayPal account, you could have a credit card as a funding source. You could have a bank account as a funding source. Of course, they're going to check your bank account. But if you have it linked to a debit or a credit card, they'll just charge that card versus, again, having an account balance. And that's sort of the big difference in this space. 
So in this space, so what? just so I can distill this and make sure I understand it and other people understand it, when you're using a crypto card, again, you have to do the conversion. The consumer does the conversion before they do the spend. When you're using a, dig, a crypto wallet, the conversion is done on the back end. So uh, saying that you already, so the short answer to your question is yes, the conversion is done on the back end. That's right. Okay. Um, and again, you make sure that you have the value stored. Right. You have to have the wallet. value, of course. Yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, so, okay. So I know that when I spoke with you a few weeks ago, you said that this offering was going to be widely available in the first quarter. Can you give me an update on that and let folks know when it might become available? So we actually went live in production um, with in-store payments uh, with crypto at the end of last year. So okay. end of 2021. So uh, we're now rolling out uh, to merchants that are interested as we speak. Um, so there'll be more news from that, but we're rolling out to merchants as we speak. Okay. Cool. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still a little confused by that. When you say you are rolling it out to merchants as, as what? I'm a little confused. By, are you saying like, Verifone payment processing, like as the ISO, or you mean through ISO partners, or you mean through BitPay, or like what? Who is who's customer? Yeah, good. That's a really good question. Um, so um, Verifone in the U.S. operates essentially as a payment facilitator. So we are out acquiring merchants directly for service for Got these it. services. So we Verifone has a I would say a very large enterprise uh, franchise. So. Um, think about the quick serve restaurants, think about the big fashion brands, think about what they call big box. So mm -hmm. we work directly with those merchants. Um, and then we work with resellers to go after smaller merchants. I understand. Okay, guys. So what you're saying is so and, and again, the larger merchants, I totally get. So, you know, you, you know, your own processing company, Verifone has it. And again, a lot of people don't know that because again, that's more the larger merchants. So right. Verifone through your payment processing arm as a payfac, you're directly going after these larger merchants and offering them crypto acceptance. And then are you also making this available through your ISO channel resellers as well? Oh, yes. And we have, we're speaking with, and we get calls, several calls a week, which are, hey, we have customers who are interested in cryptocurrency. How do we, how do we bring this to them? There seems to be lots of interest. So we're having ongoing conversations with the ISO channels about how to bring this to market. But, but you haven't brought it to market yet for the ISO channel. Um, only because of how quickly we can get it out the door. Again, we're starting with some first, some sure. first large merchants and then working on right. how to bring I it think, to the ISIS. I think what a lot of people in our audience may not understand is the amount of, um, you know, they think of, they think of crypto as this volatility and this uncertainty relative to the value. What they don't understand is the uncertainty and the volatility in terms of the underwriting process and the exchange and holding crypto and assets so that you can do real-time exchange. Like, there is a lot that goes into like accepting, you know, these accounts and, and BitPay and these other providers really are not set up for these tiny merchants, um, you know, and all of that to there, you know, to do all the underwriting and, and all that. Right. So, I mean, I, I would imagine that's going into this consideration as well. You, you've hit on, you've hit on some really good points. And, and, and the point is that, if, and, and Patty was talking about before, like, Hey, what is it going to take for us to get to um, mainstream? And what's right. going to get to mainstream is ubiquity. So that means that mm -hmm. I can go into, and Elon Musk talked about McDonald's, I can go into McDonald's, but I can also go into the corner shop and right. I can see that I can continue to pay with my crypto wallet. And that's what, if, if it's, hey, oh, that's an interesting thing, great. But the reason why BitPay wanted to partner with Verifone and Verifone wanted to partner with BitPay is our ability through ISO channels, through direct merchant contacts, is to, to build that ubiquity where consumers can see that they can spend their crypto at a number of different places. Right, and that's what right. will drive the market. 
And 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 let let me from the merchant's perspective, I'm really interested in how the um, transaction fees compare to traditional card acceptance. So I would say that they are they are competitive. They're similar, if not less. So if you think about and what happens with a lot of mobile payments is you're authenticating with some sort of um, biometric. So mm -hmm. it's it's impossible to say, hey, that wasn't me, especially if you have a, a 12 word phrase. If, if you gave up your 12 word phrase and you give your face ID to somebody else, which you can't really do. Which you then, can't really do, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I, and I think that's one of the things. So what happens is those fraud chargebacks go away and they, in the traditional card schemes, those can be expensive. And if they get too high, then there are additional penalties. So overall, it, come, it, it turns out to be actually cheaper than accepting traditional, traditional payments. Right. Hmm. Okay. So um, well, this is really interesting. This is really helpful. Um, James, do you have any other questions before I sort of wrap it up here? You know, not not really. I guess I would still, I know you're going to get to this, Patty, but I mean, I guess I'm still kind of like call to action here. Like, you know, so again, our audience is all the, right. the ISOs, the agents. I mean, like, what should they do? Because they're all going to listen to this and be like, well, Say, hey, how can awesome. I do this? Yeah, I right. didn't realize Verifone did this, right? So like, what should they do? Is it time to like reach out to Verifone and say, we want to offer this. I'm, I'm guessing you're probably going to get that next, but go ahead and tell us where, where, do, where should they go? What should they do to, to learn more about this? So there's, there's a con so they can go to verifone.com. There's a contact form 1-800-Verifone, ask to talk to sales, um, and we'll route you in the right direction. But we're taking calls to talk to ISOs to figure out how we can drive this ubiquity. We're hugely excited. I love it. That, that's yeah. great. And, and again, I think the only other question I had was just, again, kind of further clarification there. But I mean, this, I think this is really interesting for you guys too, because I mean, this is a little bit of a, um expansion on the relationship you've had with ISOs in the past because I would assume that you're playing a pretty big role in the actual I don't know if it yeah, call it even if it should be called underwriting anymore but you know this this idea of like boarding these merchants right I mean you're this is like you're playing a big role in that I know BitPay is the back end but I mean this is you're doing a lot of this front end because I know BitPay doesn't have any interest in doing this with the small merchants really this is probably your deal right it is. So this is part of the business that I built up as part of head of advanced Love payment it. methods was the, our ability to go after merchants, onboard, onboard merchants and underwrite merchants for these type of services. And again, our big push is like, you know, we're, we want to help merchants with the Chinese wallets, with the buy now, pay later wallets, with the peer to peer wallets and the crypto wallets and being able to provide that as sort of as a common platform to pick and choose what you want. But but I have a question for you. What do you, what do you think is most exciting about this space? James, Patty, what do you think is the most exciting thing? About that's a great this? question. Yeah, I'll go first, Patty. I, I mean, okay, go. Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing that the thing that's really exciting about it right now is just the sizzle of it. In other words, as a merchant, accepting crypto is kind of like putting a big sign on your door that says, "This is a store for young people." You know, like, mm -hmm. and, and so there's a lot of businesses that would benefit from that. And so even though, as, as we both know, I mean, the, the actual transaction volume is going to be negligible here for most of these merchants initially, um, you know, maybe one out of every 200 transactions or something like that. But, you know, just the idea, especially if you're maybe a college town or you're more of an urban area or a metro, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you are a business that accepts crypto. I think you get a lot of free PR out of it as a, as a merchant. I think you get a lot of free PR as, as an ISO. So I think right now it's a, it's a really sexy trend that you can go to market with that really sets you apart. Um, the real question is going to be, you know, if and when, you know, how long is it going to be until it really has some legs in terms of producing some financial results you know, directly. But I think indirectly, there's there's a big thing. So I'm excited about it right now just because I think merchants should be accepting it. 
um, just because of the, you know, why would you not? It's it's like free basically to accept it. it meaning it's free to set up to accept it. Um, and the fees are negligible. And so that's that's my thought. Patty, what do you got? Yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of agree. And I kind of go back to that young friend of mine that I was talking about. You know, he's one of these super tech savvy guys. He's been dealing with in crypto since the beginning, you know, and I know he's chomping at the bit to spend his crypto someplace. <laughs> you know? And um, and I think that that's where you're going to see pickup. But I don't think it's going to be. I think there's, you know, segments outside of those very young people. I have friends my own age who are yeah. very keen on crypto. And I think that the uh, merchant and the ISO, ISOs who get get into this business first, you know, are, are going to be, really be trailblazers. Um, and I, that's what excites me. You know, I go back real far. I go back to when ATMs weren't even called ATMs, okay? <laughs> you know, and debit was not used at the point of sale. So the notion that we've expanded so much, I mean, the fact that you can go to a point of sale now and do credit, debit, digital wallet, buy now, pay later. Oh, and you want to use your crypto? Sure. I mean, that just amazes me. And the idea that I mean, originally I saw it mostly as for big, big ticket items, um, but the notion that it can be brought down market is what I find really exciting. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Very, very insightful conversation here, and I have no doubt that a lot of our listeners are going to be reaching out to Verifone uh, with some interest here. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Likewise, thank you. Great conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, Patty, our sponsor for this episode, Valor Paytech. We alluded to it actually last week a little bit, talking about retention, um, mm -hmm. about the customer feedback a little bit. But, it, you know, both of us really didn't dive into the details. Tell us what it actually is, this customer well, feedback. Well, you know, it's it's called engaged customer. I mean, and it, it, like, it's, like it sounds, you know, it's, it's really changing the conversation, I think, in terms of, you know, selling um, on, on um, customer loyalty versus selling on points, you know? And there's all these customer engagement tools, the coolest one of which I think is the thumbs up, thumbs down rating system for the merchant because it really gives the merchant some really, you know, information it can really sink, sink its teeth into in terms of adjusting service, adjusting staff, adjusting um, product and, and, uh, uh, and service offerings. And just to clarify that, I think if I understand it correctly, you know, this is also a way to grab uh, text marketing uh, funnels, yes. right? Yes, the idea exactly. Is that, you know, a consumer checks out and it prompts them to say, hey, get a text receipt. They put their right. phone number in, they get a text receipt, and on that text, they're able to click a link to say that they were happy with it or sad about it or whatever. It's or mediocre about it. And and that is, you know, gives the merchant instant feedback instead of right. having to worry about why didn't James, hey, James hasn't been in for his favorite latte in the last three weeks. Right. I wonder why. Right. And they yeah. look back at the engagement and see I had a bad experience. Um, and then they could also send text marketing follow-ups to those numbers, which right. is adding that stickiness to it. I think that, that that stickiness, you know, I think a lot of people, I notice in my own experience, a lot of merchants will ask me for my email address, right. but they never follow up. No, no, they never do. You know? yeah. yep. and, and this and, is an automated tool that allows them to follow up. And yeah. I think that a lot of people are going to find that, you know, I think agents are going to find that as a real um, door opener. Yeah, it's a door opener and it's a it's a door closer in terms of uh, attrition. It keeps the yes. people from yes. leaving. So I really love it. So go to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Sign up. 
for a free demo. Talk to them about their solutions. I think you're going to love it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. All right, Patty, so today I want to talk about the telemarketing pivot. Um, this came from a consulting conversation I had recently uh, with a couple that I got to meet, um, and they have three different telemarketers that are reaching out and uh, scheduling appointments for them or attempting uh-huh. to, and uh, they're really kind of struggling with, with some of this. And so in this conversation, we were talking about a lot of different things you know, we're uh, creating a new script, um, you know, uh, you know, thinking about things geographically, <clears throat> uploading the data to map anything so they could see it geographically and, you know, things like that. Um, but, you know, the two big takeaways, I'll, I'll share the first one and then I'm going to talk about the pivot. So the first one is fundamentally understanding that when you have a telemarketer scheduling appointments for you, it's very important to realize that the higher the quality that you demand from that telemarketer as far as the quality of the lead, Mm-hmm. the more time you're going to waste mm-hmm. because in order to get really high quality leads, they're going to have to call a lot of businesses, which means you're going to be driving all over creation. Right. So if I say I want like, I need the confirmation, the business owner is going to be there. They're going to have a credit card processing statement ready to hand me and they're interested. Well, okay. I'm going to have three telemarketers full time. They're going to each get me like two leads a day. And these leads are going to be 45 minutes apart. Right. So yeah. that's stupid. Um, and it's a total waste of time. You're driving right by these businesses anyway. And I've never quite understood this idea of the quote unquote high quality telemarketing lead. You know, um, I've had many telemarketers call for me for all kinds of different things. And ultimately what I have found is that what telemarketers think is a quality lead is not necessarily what I think is a quality lead. Of course, because it's not their business. Well, yeah. and, And normally it just means this is somebody who you were able to talk into saying some response that I asked you to get them to say. Right. It doesn't really mean anything. Like to right. me, a telemarketer is not supposed to give you this like really high quality, super interested lead. A telemarketer is there to increase the number of contacts that you get um, and to give you a little bit of a running start as you walk in the door. Hey, you know, my assistant Bill called yesterday, you know, that kind of thing. Says you um, might be interested in doing this. Yeah. yeah. Or even that, you know, you would be here that I can meet you. you know? um, right. And so I think number one is understanding that. So again, when you're thinking about telemarketers, don't think in terms of high quality um, appointments. Instead, you want to really think more in terms of, you know, um, you know, just getting lots of leads. So that's number one. Then the other thing is the pivot. So when, once we understand that piece of it, we need to understand the importance of the pivot. So the pivot means when the telemarketer is on the phone with a prospect, if they do their job right, they're going to generate curiosity and interest from the prospect. Sure. Well, the result of curiosity and interest is generally going to be questions. Mm-hmm. So if a telemarketer has a good pitch, which by the way, most have a horrible pitch that I've seen. Oh yeah, I agree. I get, I get those calls all the time and I, I cringe. Yes. Um, if they actually have a good pitch, then they're going to generate a lot of curiosity, a lot of interest, and then people are going to ask questions. And what do you generally do? Like the natural response when someone asks you a question and you feel like you know the answer to that question, what do you normally do? 
Well, you, you answer Pop it. Pop up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is the number one mistake that people make when they have telemarketers, even when they're telemarketing for themselves, uh-huh. cannot answer the question. And here's why. Right. Telemarketers who answer questions give the prospect just enough information to say no, but not enough information to say yes. Yeah, sure. So if we give them just a little bit of information and they're like, oh, so this is about payment processing. Okay, no, I'm not interested. Well, wait a minute. We didn't even talk about that it was a point of sale system or that it was cash discounting or whatever. And now they have just enough information to say no, but they don't have enough information to say yes. So instead, the telemarketer has to pivot and they pivot to the appointment, which is actually the reason for the call in the first place. So, wow, what a great question, Susan. I'm so glad you asked that. I can tell that you and James are gonna have a lot to talk about. Now he's gonna be out there tomorrow, would 10 a.m. or 2 p.m., what would work better for you? Right, right. right? And then they, they persist. Well, before I meet with them, I kind of want to know, you know, what it's about, you know? So are, are you saying that you would eliminate the processing fees? Like how exactly would you do that? Well, you know, it, it's one of those programs that's just been so popular in the area and so many business owners are doing it. Now, again, I don't want to dive into all the details here because frankly, I might say the wrong thing. I'm, I'm James's assistant. So I wouldn't want to do that, but I know James will want to answer all your questions. Um, now, again, I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't sure, like 2 p.m., 10 a.m., would one of those work better for you? Are you going to be around? Right, right. You pivot. you yeah, got to pivot. Always pivot. And people say, well, yeah. then maybe I'll, I'll lose an appointment. Yeah, you will. Right now, you're losing like 97% of them. With this approach, you're going to lose 40%. <laughs> so, right. But you can be sure that if you answer their question, you're going to lose the appointment. So don't right. do that. So, again, right. even when you're calling for yourself, um, you know, you, it's very easy to get off track. And to say, well, I'm I'm the expert, so of course I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to answer it, sure. And then you then you're like depriving yourself of a reason to go. Exactly. So yeah. when they say that, you say, you know, I, I can tell you're really busy right now. The last thing I wanted to do is take 15, 20 minutes of your time to give some lengthy explanation. Um, right. I'd rather let's plan a time to get together. Now, did you say tomorrow, like afternoon, morning? Like, is there a time that works better for you? You've right. Not to pivot to the appointment. So that's it. Very simple tip today. But if you're telemarketing for yourself, or you have people telemarketing for you, number one. They should be generating curiosity and interest, which is, which is uh, you know, questions. That's how you can tell. So the, the prospect should be asking questions and nobody should be answering them. Yes. If your prospects are asking questions and nobody is answering them, and instead they're pivoting to getting the appointment, you're going to get a lot of appointments, which means a lot of contacts, which is going to translate into a lot of sales. Yeah, good advice, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, following our interview with Jeremy, I thought I'd uh, report on some recent crypto payments news that I came across. Okay, great. Um, For example, as of mid-January, this was an interesting one, there were more than 5,000 different cryptocurrencies in digital circulation worldwide with a combined value of 2.2 trillion. Wow, that's great. Which is crazy. Now, this was the one I thought, another one I thought was interesting. I spoke well, maybe a couple months ago about how Visa said that, uh, you know, was reporting its crypto card stats, you know. Okay, yep. Um, in the last quarter of the, excuse me, in the first quarter of their 22, uh, 2022 fiscal year, 
mm-hmm. uh, which ended like December 31st, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they had um, $2.5 billion in crypto-linked card payments that cleared through the network. Wow. <laughs> That's up 60% over the quarter that ended June 30th. June yes. 30th, they reported $1.5 billion in crypto payments. Mm-hmm. So that shows you just the consumer, you know, the consumer demand there. Yeah. And here's a little more on consumer. PaySafe uh, did a survey of U.S. and U.K. consumers and uh, found that one in 10 had adopted crypto as a payment method since the outbreak of COVID-19. Wow. Uh, A separate uh, survey of small businesses found 17% already accept crypto payments in some form and 36% plan to accept crypto payments by the end of this year. Hmm. Um, this was something, on, uh, this was a, another interesting one, FTI Consulting. They consulted a bunch of decision makers at large uh, financial services companies, you know, 11 billion or more in sales, and uh, found that investments in blockchain, currency, uh, blockchain or cryptocurrencies is a high priority with average nearly sp- yearly spend of 176 million, which of course, when you're talking about businesses that big. Yeah, that's not that much. It's not that much. Right. Um, But here's the thing that I really found interesting is that eight in 10 of those people that FTI surveyed still struggle with distinguishing the difference between blockchain and cryptocurrency. Yeah. And that's a big, you know, that's a big chasm there because, you know, basically blockchain is the underlying technology. Right. It's a it's a decentralized ledger that can be used in a lot of financial services right. applications, right. whereas cryptocurrency, you know, is, an, is a medium of exchange that just uses blockchain. And if you're spending one hundred seventy six million, you better know the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have a few more things here I wanted to share. Uh, and I love this one. And it's, it has to do with cryptocurrency crime. Okay. You know, it's very rare as a as somebody in payments and, and banking to get into to get have crime stories. But <laughs> losses to cryptocurrency crime in twenty twenty one were a record high fourteen billion dollars, according to CryptoWatch. Now these are thefts of cryptocurrencies as well as crimes like ransomware attacks, where sure. you know crypto is the ransom. <clears throat> a New York couple was arrested by the FBI on February eighth for allegedly laundering cryptocurrency taken in the 2016 hack of the crypto exchange Bitfinex. Mm. You know, that was the first big hack of a crypto platform uh, when Bitcoin was pretty much the only game in town. Mm. And at the time, the stolen Bitcoin was valued at $71 million. Today, it's worth $4.5 billion, at least on February 8th it was, and the Justice Department said it had recovered about $3.5 billion of that stolen loot. And what they did is apparently these guys were really patient. They sat on the crypto for several years, and then they started laundering small chunks through these complex financial transactions. Hmm. Um, they were budding entrepreneurs. One ran a consulting firm. I love this. She regularly contributed articles to Forbes and Inc. magazine on topics like how to protect your digital currency. <laughs> wow. And uh, that's according to the New York Times. And the other was a coder. And um, huh. you're, you'll, our listeners and you and I will have an opportunity to learn more about this couple too, because 
Within days of being arrested, Netflix announced that the couple and their alleged uh, capers will be the subject of an upcoming docuseries. Well, of course. Of course. <laughs> you, know, you can always count on Netflix to pay criminals a lot of money to tell their story. <laughs> I know. It blows my mind. I'm watching one right now. I don't know if you've heard. It's called uh, Inventing Anna. It's about this woman who was a yeah, I heard con artist. Yeah. And it's like they made an eight-part series on this woman. And oh, I was just reading. Too. Yeah. yeah, she made a bunch of money. But apparently most of that money is going to pay restitution to all of her victims. Yeah, yeah. She got rich and, and realized that, uh, wait a second, I got to pay people back. So Yeah, yeah. For all that money I stole. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and in New York, they have a very strict law about not letting criminals profit off of their crimes. Right. Once they've been set, once they've been, you know, caught. So. Right. Oh, but anyway, interesting stuff. I just thought I'd share it with everybody yeah. in case you're not in case you're not hyped up enough about crypto. Maybe this will help you. And then the crime and mystery series by Patty Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Sure. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.